Hi, Katie here. This is The Bittersweet Life. A quick note about today's show. This show is an interview with Sam Webster. He's the host of Fool's Paradise podcast, and he interviewed me while I was in Rome, and I interviewed him on the same day. And in keeping with that, we've decided to release our episodes at the same time. On both episodes, we talk about different things. And we have a challenge to decide who did it better. Do you like his episode or my episode better? Sort of a joking challenge that we challenged each other to. Both episodes come out today. So if you're not a subscriber to Fool's Paradise, search it out on your favorite podcasting player and subscribe. And if you're a regular listener to Fool's Paradise and you've never heard The Bittersweet Life, subscribe to us too and come along for the whole journey. Also, we used Sam's equipment, so today the show is going to sound a little bit different. We recorded this in an apartment I was staying in, in Trastevere, in Rome. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life, with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, although she was planning on being here, but childcare issues, you know. But that's okay, because I have a guest here with me, Samuel Webster. He is a an artist, first and foremost, writer, a photographer. I think of you as a podcaster, but that's because that's how I was introduced to you. Hmm. Thank you for coming, for one. You're welcome. Where are you from? First, let's just start that, and maybe you should define yourself a little better than me just saying you're an artist, a writer, a photographer. It just makes you seem like you're everything and maybe nothing at all. Well, so. this is a worry that I have. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not wrong when you say, oh, to me, he's a podcaster, because this is the issue I already had. I used to get even upset about it, because... I studied for a long time to be a writer. I have three degrees all in writing. And so I would get angry when people are like, oh, he's a photographer. I'm pretty good at that other thing that I do. <laughs> yeah. but, then, but then I would get angry when, when people would say, oh, well, you know, he's a writer, but he also does photography. It's like, no, I'm, I think I'm good at that too. Recently, I started just saying artist, which still gets people looking at you funny. Mm -hmm. And saying, oh, it's a bit pretentious. But I had to do it because yesterday I'm finishing a sculpture, which is a mask, just three times the size of my head, which I wear during a concert slash theater performance in which I'm the bass player, musical director, main character, writer, and organizer. <laughs> There are other people in this. It's not just a yeah. one-man show. Either. It's not a one-man show, but it's, you know, it's definitely about me saying I've got this idea and them standing behind it and then them saying, we don't know what he's going to do, but it'll work out. Mm -hmm. So I, I turn up and say, oh, by the way, I've, I've built a mask. But they didn't know. It was six months into the band. I've built a mask. I've bought a walking stick and I'm going to come on stage and, and talk about this stuff. And they said, okay. They were really good about it. I guess they knew me, but they were good about it. And so when my days change like that, tomorrow I go to Barcelona to shoot photography for a week to, you know, writing and then podcasting. It was stress trying to say, well, I'm a writer. And it, it seemed, you know, people say artist is pretentious. And I know why, because it's almost like taking credit for something without defining what it is. 
And it's almost like saying me and Michelangelo, you know? Mm -hmm. And I get that and I hate that, but it's kind of like that. But the opposite is worse for me because I have to say, well, I'm a writer and a photographer and a musician. And and either it sounds like I don't have a job, which I don't have a job. (laughs) Well, that is my job, but I don't technically have an employer. Or it sounds like I'm trying to point out that I'm good at multiple things. And so I don't like that either. Mm-hmm. So let's say I'm an artist. But not the pretentious kind. But not the pretentious. Well, you know, only when I need to be. <laughs> you know, art can be pretentious, and art, but art can also be academic and involved and its own world which you get lost in. Mm-hmm. For people outside of that world or people that don't want to be in that world, that can seem pretentious that we're talking about things that don't exist. Art doesn't exist. Symbolism doesn't exist in a sense. It's a very abstract conversation. So that can seem pretentious because it seems like we're just talking for the sake of talking. I'm an artist because I like to make things. And I like the freedom of art as a part from just creation, let's say, which is that I can be symbolic, that I can think about a lot of intellectual things and figure out how to put that into what I'm putting out into the world. And I've been lucky enough to be able to do that instead of something else, let's say. It's a job like any other job. The benefit is that I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Australian, though no one knows from my accent. <laughs> I'm from Sydney, Australia. I was born in Sydney. I lived there until I was 27. And then I moved to Italy, which has been six years. And tell us where you moved to. This is going to be like a huge tourism boom now. Everybody's <laughs> going to be there. I moved to a town called Pieve Santo Stefano, which before moving there, I called Pieve Santo Stefano. And they laughed at me on the internet because they hadn't met me yet. But everybody that was from there saw this video and they said, Stefano. <laughs> Pieve Santo Stefano, which is a small town of three and a half thousand people in the Valtiberina of Arezzo, which is like the little brother of... Florence in terms of Tuscany or one of the little brothers of Florence very small place I'm definitely one of the few foreigners and one of the few artists I kind of like it that way but it has its challenges how many foreigners would you say there are there if you had to guess three and a half thousand people I would say that there's there's less than 10 percent okay that's quite a few still though eight percent of that is Moroccan Mm. from about the last 10 or 15 years Australians, that's me. I'm it, mm-hmm. which is lovely. I want to go back to the art thing, but I just just to establish, how did you end up picking there, of all places? I actually built a project with a girl who at the time was working as a social media manager and had just moved from Sydney back to Tuscany. So we knew each other from Australia. We had talked. I said, hey, it'd be cool to work together. And she said, hey, that'd be great, except I just moved back. Moved back to Italy. Yeah. Okay. And I said, because we were talking about reckless decisions, I said, oh, well, I'll just come there. Like, what do I know? You know, I never had a dream of Italy. I had studied a little bit of Italian when I was very young, but I'd completely forgotten it. But I just kind of went, well, I could do that. Why can't I do that? And so we built a five-week trip, mainly around Tuscany, but we went from Milan to Venice, to Florence, to Rome, and then around Tuscany, shooting photography, which is now because I've stayed here, I've turned into a bigger project. 
which is <laughs> going to be a photo book with some sort of commentary and stories. I keep delaying the release of it because I keep thinking that my life is becoming more solid and more worth writing about, let's say. And so I never finish it. <laughs> um, but it's, it's going to be out in the next year. That was Alessia Clusini, which at the time she was working as a social media manager and finishing a master's in social media. And she was from this little town. And so we would be in Florence and then say, okay, so we need to go to Greve, but there's like a week. I will go back and we would stay with her nonna. So then by being there, I kind of met her friends and then met musicians, you know, which is a big step. I just kind of made friends, not a lot, but enough that I, it felt like more my place than anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And then I went back home and felt very out of sorts when we were talking earlier about that idea of being away. For me, it was coming back and realizing that Australia wasn't for me at that point. So I said, well, I could try Italy again. Someone had offered me a little bit of work. I said, I'll try Italy. I'll go back to that little town in a little apartment and we'll see. And that was the first of many three month periods, which was like, I'll try it for three months and we'll see how it goes. And now it's, my town, you know? <laughs> now it's my town. Now it's the town that I know best where I'm well known, not because I'm good at anything, but just because I'm new and different and there aren't enough people that, <laughs> that you need to be famous to be famous, you know? Right, right. If you're the only Australian, you're by default famous. Exactly. So there you go. Who is this person who speaks with this funny accent, yeah. which has actually changed in the last five years as well. Like my Australian accent has become more American and slightly English and, and it's completely changed because I spend my day speaking Italian. Now we're going really far afield. See, this is what we warned about on your podcast, yeah. which, by the way, is called Fool's Paradise. Um, Thank you. First plug of the show. First plug. I'm hoping for many. Yes. I also appeared on his podcast and you're talking about how we stick to a theme on this show oftentimes. And now I'm just going all over the map with you. But You've taken my method. I know. You said, I'm just going to wing it. Yes. But, okay, before I circle back to where I want, what I wanted to ask you, though, would you say that the... Italians. I feel like my job is to derail you. Yeah, you can try. <laughs> Would you say that the Italians think that you have some sort of an Australian slash English accent in the way that you speak Italian? Is that too heady to they, even know? I, I, they know that I have an accent. Okay. I don't think anybody knows what this chain accent is. And I'm a terrible example of it. You think people in Italy don't know the Australian accent? Um, you know, what I've noticed is that even when I hear other foreigners speak Unless they have a really, really strong accent and a really bad pronunciation, I don't really tell the difference between English Italian and American Italian necessarily, unless they have a really strong English or American accent. I kind of just have a foreigner Italian radar and that's it. And I kind of feel like when it's your own language, you know, like the Italians will say, oh yeah, that's the Roman accent or the Tuscan accent, which is something that I'm kind of cluing into now that I speak Italian. I think we have that idea of different accents more. And I think they probably just think it's more English than American. I don't know if it's the benefit. I don't, I actually don't know, but I, I don't have a very strong Australian accent. It's definitely not English. It's not American, but it's not the typical Australian accent. And so I'd say it's harder to pick as well, mm -hmm. especially if I'm speaking a second language on top. 
True. Do you want to give us a, a line or two in Italian just so we can hear what you sound like? Oh, I really don't. <laughs> Come on. It's, it's the problem with speaking two languages. We've been speaking now for over an hour in English, and so I'm fine. But yesterday, after just waking up, I had to speak to some foreigners. Uh, foreigners. English people. <laughs> for goodness sake, you're so pretentious. Now. I know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know, but, but it was kind of, I was like, and I couldn't remember the word for exhibition. Mm-hmm. I said expedition and I'm like, that's not right. Tiffany and I joke about this all the time because she's been here for 13 years and she speaks Italian the majority of the time. Mm. And so whenever we're recording, she'll often say, I do, I cut it out <laughs> sometimes because she'll say, well, hang on, I know this word, one second. And so she'll say, times. well, what is it? What is it? And I'll say, I don't know what you're trying to say. You know, <laughs> uh, I'll come up with it. I'm, Give me I'm some clues. I'm doing better now that we've been speaking an hour. Yeah. So when you ask me to speak Italian, I actually completely blank out you're now in english speaking mode yeah and it really is that for me so if you ask me to speak english most of the time i have a really tough time for the first five or ten minutes mm -hmm. even though i write a lot in english to friends and things having a long discussion and actually speaking it is difficult Plus, I don't want anybody to know how bad my <laughs> You don't want I get by. I get by. I wouldn't say that I have an amazing Italian accent or that you wouldn't know that I'm from somewhere else. I'm definitely from somewhere else. <laughs> Sam, on this show, nobody's worse at Italian than me. Um, so going back, though, to the fact that you are... I admire your structure. <laughs> that you're an artist type. That you are an artist. That's how you make your living. The artist type I like. Yes. I mean, I'm an artist type too. I come from a journalism background, but I, I always came at it from the view of an artist, not so much a journalist. Mm -hmm. It's a difference between me and some of my colleagues. But you said that you got three writing degrees. Mm -hmm. I have a writing degree also. Mm -hmm. As you diversify into all these different art forms that you're in, does the writing weigh on you heavier Say that, in which sense? Well, I guess I'm thinking of it for me. In this particular show, for instance, if we quickly define who is Tiffany, who is Katie. Mm -hmm. Katie is a radio producer. Tiffany is a writer. Okay. Katie has a writing degree and is a writer. Right. But Tiffany makes her living writing, and I tend to make my living doing radio and writing. Okay. But the writing weighs on me heavier, and when I don't do it for long extended periods of time, which I don't, I feel bad about it or I feel like it's, I should be doing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas radio comes automatically. So I'm just asking, is the writer in you sometimes if you're going for a week long trip in Barcelona to take pictures, is the writer in you being like, excuse me, hello, we're supposed to be doing this. And in a, in a sense. Yeah. Like one of the things I had to, I had to stop writing poetry as much as I did when I came to Italy because I had no way to do it in Italian. And so it really got minimized and I was kind of disappointed with that, which is why I actually, at the end of 2014, I self-published a bunch of poems that I hadn't put out in any other way to remind myself, oh, you are this thing. Even the editing process of them was kind of reminding myself. Does it weigh on me? It weighs on me because I know I'm a good writer. And I actually think I'm not nearly as good as expressing myself speaking as I am writing, but I think I'm okay at putting a phrase together. Even now that my Italian is getting better, I still feel nowhere near as capable, not in speaking, 
but in expressing beautiful things in a beautiful way. That weighs on me because it's like all that work (laughs) (laughs) and then I live my days. And I think sometimes that what that means is I actually come up with things in Italian which are quite interesting because the brain still works in the same way. Because I would say the poetry in a sense is about in a very, very simple way taking one thing and putting it in another context so that it means something else. And that is a very playful way to approach language. And I find it very interesting in English. I think it's also interesting in Italian. But it disappoints me that I know that there are probably errors. Emotionally, I can write in English. In Italian, there's still a grammar brain going on. Whereas in English, I can be like, no, this will get them. Right. It disappoints me that I don't write as much, which is strange because I could change it. I could write tomorrow if I wanted to. Well, I think one of the questions I have too is when you have that much training... You're still an artist type, but it may end up not being the form that you end up using all the time. It's sort of that question of, because of all that training, do you feel like you should be a writer? Or do you feel like you should be a writer because you love the writing? Or sometimes it's both, but the writing is hardest, so you do something else instead. Look, one of the, one of the benefits of the degree that I did straight out of school, uh, well, there were two benefits to it. One, it was... A double major in a sense. It was a cultural studies and writing degree. Look, to be honest, I think every single person in every single country should have to do a year of cultural studies when they finish school just so they know what Marxism actually is, for example, (laughs) Mm -hmm. just so they know what advertising is doing to you, so they understand art and literature. I think it was important to do comparative culture subjects at university. I did comparative religion. Cultural studies always ends up being comparative in a sense because it challenges the idea of objective truth. And I think everybody should do that. I, at the same time, was not a literature nerd like a lot of people that become writers. I'm still not a literature nerd. I love good writing, not because I think it's artful, but because it gives me something. It could be terrible writing if, it, if it's showing me something new. From that understanding of culture and, and understanding and being a poet more than anything else, I kind of came up with a definition of art, which I kind of touched on before about the idea of juxtaposition, taking something from one context, putting it in another. What you do is you take all of the things that something means and you attribute it somewhere else. So... You know, I have a glass of wine in my hand, as I often do. Just by mentioning the word wine, we have senses of richness, of tradition, of culture, of nature, of various things. In the same way that if I said Coca-Cola, we have American capitalism, soft drink, sugar, we have all these things. By saying the word, I take all of those things that you know about that thing, and then when I attribute to something else... Like even if we go in the most simplest way and say your love for me is like red wine, which is a terrible line of poetry, (laughs) but don't quote me on it. (laughs) I don't have to say anything else to have another hundred words in your brain ascribed to love. That's poetry for me. And that also for me is art. Working in that definition of art, I can move beyond any form. 
because I say, well, I'm going to take this and I'm going to put it here. I'm going to use this and I'm going to put it here. The show that I was talking about before is a big band called Willie Loman Big Band, where I've taken the idea of Willie Loman from Death of a Salesman and created a, a character who is Willie Loman Jr., who is a character who's moved from America to Italy and is a jazz musician. It draws on all that you know about Willie Loman and also nothing, you know, it's also its own show. That's that sense of his history. So I see all art like that. And so I can be okay in not writing poetry because the process mentally for me is the same. It's just that the form is not the same. So sometimes I miss the beauty of words or I miss the beauty of form or rhyme or the fact that I haven't written a poem itself in a physical way, but I don't feel like I'm so removed from the process of writing a poem. I'm just missing the object, let's say. Right. Does that make any sense? No, it does. It makes a lot of sense. It's interesting when you try and um, explain something that is something you do every day, but you, you haven't prepared. Well, art is a hard thing to explain it sometimes, too. That's why it's good to teach it. I sadly am not doing so, so I don't have a complete you know, <laughs> explanation of my craft like that. But that's kind of how I see it. Give us the magical secret that you must have about how to be... Magical. An artist. Is wine not the magical? <laughs> wine is the number one magical secret. But the second it's magical secret is you are a working artist who has managed to move to a different country. Whereas a lot of people think, well, if I'm going to live in another country, I have to teach English. Sure. If they're English speaking, or I have to, I'm going to go there with this other company that hired me to go there. Or I'm going to teach yoga or be a tour guide. Mm-hmm. Any of those other things that, that might be somebody's goal, but oftentimes it's sort of something that they know that they can do on the side, but would not ultimately be their dream job. So how in the world are you doing it? So there are two sides. Because I freelance and I know it's really hard. It is really hard. So, so there are two sides. The first important thing is that I didn't want to move and then realize that it would be a sacrifice. I didn't think about it being a change, I, apart from being in a new place. I kind of was just set on doing whatever I was going to do. So confidence, number one. <sighs> confidence in a sense. But one thing that's got to be known is that economically speaking, Australia is a very expensive country and Italy is not. There is more work for artists in Australia. There's less work for artists in Italy. But in a sense, the balance between work and expenses is much more favorable in Italy. So that helps. That's the first thing. The other thing is I knew that my other option was there. People said, oh, you know, you could, why don't you teach English? And I said, well, because if I want to teach English, I can go to Australia and earn twice as much teaching English. I'm not here for that. If I were here for that, that would be different. But I, I was never here for that. I didn't come for the place. I never had the, the dream from from when I was very little of, of Italy. So I wasn't so in love with the place that I just have to make it work. However, mm-hmm. I have always been in love with the idea of being an artist from when I was young. And it was a big decision when I was 18. I'm going to do this until I fail at it, which luckily hasn't happened, but could happen any, any time. You know, it's economic like anything else. So knowing that anything I could do here as a kind of other job I could do elsewhere for more money and live a more comfortable lifestyle kept me from giving in on the art thing. Mm-hmm. 
The other thing is I don't really care for money. And it's money is unavoidable and, and greed is unavoidable and the want for money is mostly unavoidable. But even if I do have all of that, I don't have any sense that I need to have the latest new clothes. And and since I was young, I've always, you know, I might have spent a lot of money on musical instruments or camera equipment, but it was always passionate stuff. Mm -hmm. I never bought anything that was really just for having. So I'm totally fine when I'm poor and and also happy to admit that I am a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Because it's economically poor, you know, and uh, this is eat, pray, love territory. <laughs> Look Econ- out. I'm economically poor, but spiritually rich. Yes. No, let's not say that. But, but in a sense, it's like, oh, I have less money, so I can't do extra things. But I don't like to go to the club. I don't like to have exorbitant wealth that doesn't give me anything. I'd like to be more comfortable. I would always like to work more, but I don't have that desire for material things. And so not having that means being able to survive in weeks where I'm like, oh, I don't have any money for the next two weeks. That's happened. Mm-hmm. I now have at least two weeks worth of pasta in every house that I live in because it could happen again. It mm-hmm. hasn't happened for a couple of years now, but knowing that I could live on pasta for two weeks I've done that. I've lived on pasta for two weeks. It doesn't hurt me like it probably should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But that kind of lets it keep going. Yeah. When I build something new, a new exhibition, or to be very practical, we were talking about building the mask for this show. I, at some point, will make the money back on the money that I'm, but I'm putting a lot of money into it because I want to and hoping. Right. I'm happier being poor and having created something than having the extra hundred euro, you know, Mm -hmm. that's not for everybody though. And it's certainly not for anybody that has to move with a family or even in a couple. I think if I had a wife, it's a lot harder to say, it's fine. We're going to be poor, but I made this thing. (laughs) Unless it's a similar minded person. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Unless you're really on the same wavelength, Mm -hmm. which has its own sense of sacrifice and if two people are willing to sacrifice in the same way that's fine everybody makes their own you know even having children is a sacrifice and you make it together with your partner i think that would have been harder if i had a normal person by my side Mm -hmm. to say are you sure about this thing (laughs) how much is this mask costing yeah exactly how much is the mask costing will you make it back these things that i don't want to think about because that would make my job a job and Mm -hmm. i'm i'm kind of Happy not thinking that way. It's interesting because when I first moved back from... Are we on topic, by the way? Yeah, we're totally on topic. Ah, this is not working. Sorry, buddy. She didn't tell me what the title (laughs) of the show is, so I haven't been able to... I'm trying to steer us away. Well, I do do name them afterwards. I just have an idea of what we're going to talk about. So if I change it, you have to name it something else. Well, I'll let you ask some random question at the end if you really want to throw in a wild card here. Sure, let's see where it goes. Um, But I was going to say that... that, um, when I first moved back from Italy to the United States, I had an artist friend. She's a visual artist, mm-hmm. painter, encaustic painter. And I was over at her house, must have been within the first week or so of me moving home. 
neither me nor Derek had a job. And so we were coming back going, I wonder what's going to happen. She went over to her pantry. She grabbed half of a bag of rice. You know, one of those huge bags, like the size of a flour sack. Mm -hmm. And it's half empty. And she said, I bought this years ago when I was first starting out exactly like you're talking with the pasta. Mm. I'm going to give this to you. And should you not make any money and run out of food, this will keep you alive. Yeah. When you don't need it anymore. Give it back to me. It's like your standby security rice or your standby and security pasta. I've, I've learned I've learned I've learned what I can live on. How much simple things cost. I've learned which meat costs more money, which type of meat. Chicken is actually not super expensive in Italy, surprisingly. And pork is more economical than beef. Mm-hmm. You know, you learn these things and you learn what you can eat to just get by. Mm-hmm. until payday so wine or food when you come down to that decision <sighs> you know what i i love <laughs> i i grew up okay so i grew up teetotaler which is a mm-hmm. a very anglo-saxon word because in italy they say astemio which i've spoken to people and, and i've actually said no medically that a lot of the people that don't drink in italy it's because they have medical rejections of alcohol which as an australian i can't even imagine <laughs> yeah, um, you guys are good drinkers. We're good drinkers. I, if I drank beer, I'd be a lost case. But I don't like beer at all. So I'm a bit atypical. But I grew up in a family that didn't drink at all. I started drinking when I was 19 and drank badly because everybody does. And I don't mean that I drank a lot. I mean, I drank poor quality wine because I was at a, a bar in Australia, which didn't care about the quality of the wine as much as they did the beer or the spirits mm-hmm. now i live in italy i drink well i drink good wine because i know what good wine is and what it tastes like it's not what i'm serving you today by the way it's bad actually though. it's okay i've got to say i wouldn't have asked for a second glass because <laughs> uh, you know i've had bad wine and i'm fine okay um but i actually don't drink much at home at all because i live by myself it, i don't find myself cracking open a bottle of wine by myself so you'd go food so i would go food I would go for it. I'd hate to miss out wine, but if I have to survive, <laughs> if I have to survive, because I've, I've tried, there is a, a wine in Italy called Tavernello, which costs one euro per liter. Mm-hmm. And I tried it because I thought, well, that would be amazing. If worse comes to worst, don't drink no. Tavernello. I couldn't even drink a glass. It's not even like boxed wine. It's worse. It's not drinkable. Someone must drink it, but I can't drink it. Yeah. So I'm I'm happier without wine, even if I want wine, than poor wine. Just to end, and then I'll let you derail. For people that have, that have listened to my episode, <laughs> I just want to point something out. Okay. So Katie has a list of questions. In no, they're just she has they're notes. just words. You yeah. have something. Well, most of it's your title. I had wine <laughs> during my episode, and that was it. <laughs> So if you've listened to both and you think that was a really well-structured conversation <laughs> and he's talking intelligently and at length about stuff, just remember that I was winging it. Yeah, that's true. Well, mainly... This is the main difference between our shows, I think, is that you're really... I think... Well, I'm going to say it's, it's NPR cares about its listeners. That's true. And I 
I don't know. It's not that I don't care about the listeners. It's that I don't think about them. <laughs> <laughs> I think about what's going on, which maybe is not interesting to everybody. Well, if it's interesting to some people, you're succeeding, I suppose. Uh, uh, okay, so I saw an article that you wrote online about the importance of being paid as a freelancer. Because this is a thing that always happens with freelancers is they get asked to do stuff for less money. Yeah, It's really hard to know what you should charge. And there's always that question about, should I be doing it for free because I need to make connections? You know, it's a little bit different from doing an internship, obviously. When sure. you're, which well, depending you know, on the internship. Depending on the internship. But yeah, I thought you should give some of your thoughts out for those of you artists out there who are... So what you're wondering where the line is, is, is actually a post on my website called thoughts on working for free. And it's not listed as an article or a blog post. It's listed under the contact details, which gives you an idea of why Mm. I wrote it. (laughs) And very funny. And there are two, there are two parts to it right now. I'm too busy to work for free. So that's just, it's out. It's done. I don't have the time that anything that you would ask me to do would take. Because if I can do it in two minutes, you could probably ask someone else. If I can't do it in two minutes, I don't have time to do it unless it's going to help me not eat faster with no sauce. So it's out of the question now. I have in the past worked for free because everybody has. Sure. And it's a mistake. It's a mistake. I should have always worked for 20 bucks, even. I've done photo shoots that ended up in magazines. I've done photo shoots that ended up on front covers of albums that I did for free. Here's what it comes down to. If someone is getting paid, you should be paid. The big question is always, is the secretary getting paid? The secretary who doesn't have any skill in the creative process, who doesn't have a hand in it, who isn't an author in what's being created. If the secretary is being paid, Why is the artist not being paid? And the reason is because the secretary wouldn't turn up. That's a problem. So I wrote the article partly by saying artists stop doing it. Because when someone works for free, I don't get paid for when I get to work. Because they say, well, my friend did it for free. Why can't you? When someone works for exposure, it's the same thing. I've had exposure. It doesn't pay. It doesn't pay the bills. It doesn't actually give much exposure. And if you're... Not sure about that, you should talk to someone that works at advertising and ask how much they pay advertising something versus how many people see it. Because it's a hugely disadvantaged return on investment. Straight advertising. There are other things that you can do better. So having written an article sometimes can help you get other work, but exposure doesn't pay. I've been in television interviews and... That helps me when I apply for something else and say, I've been on a television interview. I've never had anyone call me after and offer me work. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. Then there's the working in the arts thing. Creativity is something innate and fun, which means that there are a lot of amateurs who want to do it. It also means that there are a lot of amateurs who are pretty good at doing it. What that means is someone who works in a bank and doesn't need a second income, will do it for free, always. You will always be able to find an amateur to do it for free. What that does is it drives down our income as artists, which is incredibly frustrating. The other thing is that when you pay an amateur, and I hate to say you get what you paid for, it's not just that you get the quality that you paid for. 
if I talk about photography, for example, you might know a good amateur photographer will take your photo and they'll do it for free. But when you have a magazine ask you for that photo and they say, oh, by the way, it needs to be in this color space. An amateur doesn't know that because an amateur has never had to work out different mediums. Mm-hmm. When you say it has to be sharpened because I'm printing it with this printer, it's this size and it's in this gallery, an amateur doesn't know that. And it's not that they can't know that, it's that they don't need to because as an amateur, they don't work in that side of the job. They work in the creative side of the job of creating something. Professional work is about the presentation as well. So amateur photographers are usually pretty bad at organizing exhibitions. They don't know how it works. They don't know how um, percentages work. They don't know how publicity works or anything like that. And so you can pay an amateur to do certain things and you'll get a good job. But if you're working in any kind of professional thing, the minute there's a problem, that's when it's going to fail on you. I'm doing a job in Barcelona. I'm shooting for a week. It's commissioned work. You can go on Google and find photos of Barcelona and you can see that it's a beautiful city and you could say, well, anyone with a good camera can take a good photo of Barcelona. And they're right. Anyone with a good camera can take a good photo of Barcelona. But then if the commissioned work involves then shooting something inside and they don't know how to shoot in low light or they don't know how to treat an image that's shot in low light or they don't know how to shoot it so that they have a lot of options in post-production or they don't know how to color treat all the images so they look the same all this boring stuff then you're gonna have a problem stuck two microphones into a recorder and hit record and we get a decent thing you and i both know that it doesn't get released like this Mm -hmm. well sometimes it does but not by (laughs) us but but part of that is because we want to maintain a certain level of quality. And that, that is part of the professional work as well. You will not find a professional photographer who gives you raw files. They'll only give you JPEGs. The reason for that is it's the analog equivalent of taking the film and developing it yourself at home. The reason a professional won't give it to you is because they know that their name goes with the product. An amateur doesn't care so much because an amateur works at the bank the next day. If you work for free now, you're killing my income after I've been working for 15 years as an artist. And if I were working for free, I'd be killing the income of people who have been working 25 years. What that does is it means that we don't have a viable arts culture. We either have a really amazing government who gives a lot of money to the arts, Mm -hmm. or we have a culture which suffers. When the culture suffers, the art that gets created is always pop culture because it sells. So it's like saying, are you happy with having Justin Bieber for the rest of your life? Some people are fine with that. What that means is we're going to say that the entire culture is restricted in that way. And knowing that ideas come from culture and art and knowing that when you're creating something, living it makes it better. If I had to make an artwork an hour every night and do another job, I know I can't reach the level of thought in the creative process, even if I can reach the level, the manual level of working with my hands and creating something physically, I can reach that level, but intellectually I can't. So my art is continuously limited if I have to seek other avenues to survive. Part of that is why I'm in Italy. I'm also happy 
with the frugal minimalist lifestyle because the other option is a severely limited output that I wouldn't be proud of and I'd rather not create than be not proud of what I'm creating, mm-hmm. which is egotistical. Like it, it's, it's got my name on it. I don't want you to, you know, it's like taking someone's pizza and adding pineapple. Exactly. Exactly. You know, if it's got the, the name of the pizzeria on the box and I, I add something else, then it's no longer my pizza. You and, know? and yet in this culture of wanting to be paid, uh, you have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> know is, what the podcast is. It I, is the like, hardest, hardest. No, it's probably not the hardest, but it's one of the hard ones to get paid for. It's extraordinary. I, I, you know what? The podcast, my life has been a series of adding mediums to what I do because I find mediums that I'm not being paid for more interesting, more entertaining, mm-hmm. more relaxing, let's say, because art for me is fun, right? Which is why I love my job. The podcast has kind of been because I started doing, oh, music I won't be paid for. And then you create a professional show and a thing and you're like, oh, now I'm a musician. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and it's really that because I, like we were talking about to come full circle, I'm doing that structuring thing that you do. Mm, very um, nice. It's not good. No, it's great. Uh, it's great for you. <laughs> Coming back to that title idea, when I was just a writer, everything else was fun and I didn't need money. And part of that is why I worked for free at the beginning. I didn't think about taking money as a photographer because I was a poet. Well, why would I take money as a photographer until I was as good at photography as I was a poetry and so I was like well someone's offering money I'm gonna take the money sculpture and painting and film and they just keep getting added and I do them for fun until I'm good enough and then someone offers to pay for it and I go damn I've got to learn something else now (laughs) and the latest one is podcasting I only do it for my own curiosity and because I like storytelling and I like people to hear the things that I think are interesting you know, because we're about to like close up and I'm going to have to say subscribe and rate and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And, Nobody and likes it. Part of me is saying, I don't care if anybody subscribes you know, <laughs> because because it's the enjoyment of it. Yeah. You would be it's doing it anyway. Game. But I'd be happy if, you know. if you subscribe. So we will say Samuel Webster is an artist. I'm not going to define you past that, but his podcast is called Fool's Paradise. Mm hmm. Which if you subscribe to right now, you might actually hear me on it. Definitely um, will. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming to my apartment here in Rome. You're welcome. As you pass through for, what, 12 hours total on your way to Barcelona. Yeah, very, in fact, about that. Did you want to ask me a question that derails us? No, we should just end. <sighs> that derails We'll it. just end. We'll just end. I want you to mention here the name of the pizza place. Oh, So people right. that came from the other episode... And we like, oh, he did tell us. But everybody listening here knows the name of the pizza place. On Fool's Paradise, I was not giving away the name of my favorite pizza place. But I'll pause here briefly so all of you at home in your heads can fill it in. <laughs> it's Dar Poeta. Okay. Order the Super Bufala. Intrastevere. Intrastevere. Or Super Bufala or the Lingua de Foco if you're a meat eater. Okay. And we'll leave it there. Thank, Thank you for coming. You're welcome. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Thanks also to the listeners who've donated to keep this show going. We can't do it without you. If you haven't yet, visit thebittersweetlife.net and click the donate button. Any amount donated will be rewarded with a handwritten thank you note and our huge thanks.
We welcome your questions and your feedback. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com.